0: You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. So how are you?
1: I'm good. Do
0: you feel differently now that you've met me in person?
1: Totally, 100 different. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny that in person, what did you say that you were the straight man on this, and then I was the straight man in person, yeah, basically.
0: Yeah, which is very funny. I did not expect. I did not see that coming.
1: Oh really? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's. I. I mean, I just didn't think about it, but that's that that that's me yeah (laughs) it's not it wasn't like you got like a weird version of me or something that's like I don't even know like you know I don't even know I've been known to be 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 considered aloof or like I don't know
0: very interesting
1: yeah but I but I I just think it's because I mean well actually it's funny because when I was looking at the photos that we took Everybody we we April and I met and we had this whole photo shoot. And so when I'm looking at the photos, and I can see as time went on, I'm seemingly more comfortable or animated than in the For beginning. Sure. Yes. I can see it. And I yeah. look like I look like a middle-aged mom in the beginning, and then I look more <laughs> like myself as it goes on. I mean, totally. And these glass like without the glasses on, I feel like I look like I'm 70-year-old, like verging on grandma. I just put you on some so like funny seven, seventeen dollars glasses, and it's like a whole other thing. It's
0: funny. So wait, did was I different than you expected?
1: No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious!
0: <laughs> so you knew I was gonna be a wild and crazy girl. <laughs>
1: That's funny. (laughs) No, you're, you know, Phoebe from Friends. (laughs) But we knew that.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. That's so funny. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad we established that. Well, with that, do you want to jump into things I should have been trained on?
1: so do because there's so many things that everybody should have been trained on (laughs) so especially during this time the after time managing virtual work relationships and interestingly we can talk about the fact that we just met in real life what was that a week and a half ago yeah but that we have known each other for years now and that we met I guess on Upwork
0: yeah.
1: And like kept in touch well cuz you're really good at keeping in touch. You're, you know, good at that and we sort of had like a couple of close calls and then it was or when I say close calls, I mean we almost came together to do something and then it wasn't until what was that company the SAS that they were getting that funding or whatever and I took that on and like got Rushed. the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, that was a pretty good one.
0: That was amazing. <laughs> I don't amazing. know. I, do. I, don't I was know. like, "Damn, girl.
1: That was that was a good dress rehearsal for you or whatever and then it just Definitely. sort of went from there but I mean isn't that how everybody met the past three years basically I mean job interviews pretty much networking yeah everything so now the question is and I've been reading a ton of articles about this especially with hybrid companies that were in person that had to go completely virtual and there are now either forcing or trying to massage back into hybrid. And there's a lot of issues with that. Mm -hmm. So nobody could have been taught how to manage this because it didn't exist before, right? But you've been doing virtually the whole time.
0: Yep, since before the pandemic.
1: I don't know if you were trained to do this, but you've been doing it. You don't have the hybrid thing. So maybe we will get to that. But So how did you determine the best way to manage and work with people virtually?
0: I was lucky in that my first PR job in New York was in the satellite office of a Minneapolis-based ad and PR firm, Carmichael and Spong, it was called at the time. And so because there were only five of us in the New York office and the rest of the staff was in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. I had to get pretty good right off the bat at okay. figuring out how to make connections with people and friendships and like work those relationships on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then but we had the advantage of getting together whenever we did for you know different events and right. all agency staff things and when they came to New York et cetera. So there were But weren't, you weren't, weren't using
1: Zoom or anything I assume. No, it was, it was just the
0: phone phone and email. And I'm still really dear friends with both Sarah Blood and Aaron Mathy who I met through Karma right. Spong back in the day, right? right? So both of those relationships were so strong that they turned into friendships that, you know, have gone well past when we, when we met. So that's pretty cool. I think, right. So you know, I think some of it was through necessity. And then after that, everything was else, everything else was in person. But then when I started freelancing, it was kind of the same thing. So I think some of it just came over the years of, of doing that. I think that video calls do help quite a bit in terms of. Right. Sustaining that. And I know that um, for example, my number two, Lana, she always wants to do calls where she sees people and, and showing them that she's paying attention Mm -hmm. because she feels like if nowadays, if you're not on video and you're not looking at each other, it's not clear whether or not you're giving some of your undivided attention. Right, You're
1: like doing who knows what.
0: I think the foundation of any good relationship is authenticity and honesty and transparency. And I don't think that there's any difference in doing that virtually versus in person in fact I think some people are more comfortable being vulnerable and honest and open when they're not sitting across the table from somebody Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a little bit of anonymity that happens virtually yeah in a way it's almost advantageous I know that sounds crazy but it's almost like because you're not sitting there and you don't have to then get up off the table and go to the conference room, to, you know, you just had an awkward conversation. You just get to click off and like not see that person until the next time you're on camera right. instead of like seeing them again in the, you know, the coffee pot or in the bathroom. It's like, oh God, right. 20 minutes ago, we had that awkward conversation. So, right. um, so there, there, I think it helps people integrate and process difficult information. And not that it's like everything is difficult, but obviously, you know, people are people and you're always going to have some clashes here and there. And it's just, it's in a way, it's nice, I think, to be able to step back and not need to.
1: But were you trained on any of this stuff? No,
0: no, no, of course not. Yeah. (laughs) No, I did train myself. What do you wish that you had been trained on to do this
1: better yourself? Well, you know, so what you said is true. I mean, I've worked for huge companies, and I was dealing with people in, you know, mostly probably the UK, but you know, sometimes Asia, so who knows where, other states, other cities, Canada, all the time. I mean, we all did. So the fact that this whole like working virtually and never seeing your colleagues, except maybe once every two years, that really wasn't entirely new if you worked at like a big company. And actually when I worked at PWC, A number of people work from home quite a bit on the PR team or were, you know, in offshoot offices and they never went to their office because why would they go into some offshoot office when their whole team was Mm -hmm. based in New York? So I've been working like that with people, you know, for a long time. I always went into the office, even though I didn't have to, Mm -hmm. I would go in every day because it was, for me, it was a feeling of like getting up, getting dressed and like going to work and like doing that. I felt like I needed it and I wanted to do that. And I also felt like this might be interesting. I thought that I would be perceived as a more dedicated employee because there I was, I showed up, I was in person. I would go to the meetings in person. I would go to like media trainings in person. I could go to a partner's office in person. I have learned that it wasn't true. I got laid off from big corporate America. And they didn't care if I if I hadn't been there, if I was, I would have gotten laid off all the same. Doesn't really matter when the cane is yanking you off the stage. They don't care where you sit. No. So don't let that be like, ooh, I should, you know, I need to be there in person. But the other thing I've been hearing is that these companies say you must be in in person, and like forty to fifty percent of people just aren't going, and they're like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna fire all of us? Yeah. (laughs) I dare you. I think it's big companies. That are like, you know, oh, you got to come to work and you got to work three days a week and you have to be there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or whatever it is, all these like rules that they're trying to put in there. And everybody now knows, like, oh, the whole thing was a hoax. We really didn't have to be in the office at all the The stock market went through the roof. This company made more money than ever, whatever. Like we did not have to be there in person. And to try to put the toothpaste back in the tube, yeah, so. I th- I don't know. I mean, managing virtual, to me, managing virtual relationships was just doing your work and being like, oh, this is the project I'm working on. And I need to talk to Sue and Bob who are in Colorado. And so I'll talk to Sue and Bob in Colorado. It's the same as I would talk to them if they were in the same office as me.
0: I mean, I think at the end of the day, just to kind of put a button on it, it feels to me like It's very easy with Zoom calls to just get very perfunctory about it and just only speak to whatever needs to be talked about and not have any chit chat about your Mm -hmm. lives. On the one hand, people that don't like fake talk love this. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you don't put any effort into, hey, what, like, tell me about your, how's your dog? How's your boyfriend? How's your husband? I think that it's like, Mm -hmm. it can be a little bit hard to build an actual relationship. As much as everybody is too busy and you don't have five minutes to shoot, like, I think you kind of have to, unless you really don't like that person. Don't fake it. Don't ever fake a relationship. I never recommend that. If you guys just don't see eye to eye and it's your relationship is just utilitarian, keep it that way. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Some relationships are, but if you actually like that person, you know, take an extra Thirty seconds yep. to breathe and be like, "Hey, I like your shirt? Like, what is this? What? Tell me about. Oh, where's Tilly today? Where I don't see her in the background. Like, Tilly, she's right <laughs> down there. <laughs> is, you know, but like, here. like that kind of like, Hey, have you been working on music? All of those questions are like, you know, that's how you make an actual relationship. That then, when you meet in person, you can amplify that relationship. Then when you meet in person, you'd be
1: like, Oh my god, this is not a, at all what I <laughs> thought this person was going to be like." <laughs> I do think what you were saying about, especially if you're managing people, you to really make sure that you are forcing yourself and being mindful of engaging people and finding out about their life outside of whatever work item that you have to discuss with them is probably even more important in the virtual or hybrid world than it was prior. I don't know that anybody was trained on any of that, but some people like you are just good at that anyway. Other people like me really have to be like, oh, oh, right. I have to be nice (laughs) and ask questions about their life, you know, to allow them to give me as much or as little information as they want. I've been accused of not being good at it in person either, but virtually it's (laughs) even more important. So... (laughs) okay fair enough so
0: should we should we move on to the next thing here
1: why don't we do the
0: horror story okay and then do our guests and then come back with news yeah and I can read it okay
1: let's hear it good morning pure wind down I have a good one here just happened to me last week I work for a small agency in Atlanta where the founder is still pretty involved with our team for the day-to-day tasks Last month, we landed a new food and beverage client, a huge one for us, and the client wanted to kick off ASAP, so our internal account team started scrambling to get ready for the kickoff scheduled for last week. All we needed was the finalized signed contract from the client, which my boss was handling. The client emailed my boss requesting a small change to the contract, Our team was copied as an FYI, and it looked like things were just about wrapped up. About a day and a half passed, and the client followed up for an update. Within 20 minutes, my boss sends our internal team a message in the team's chat, absolutely freaking out because he hadn't noticed the first email from the client. He even used all caps, so it was pretty clear this was meant to be yelling. (laughs) he said it was our fault that he didn't see the email and that it's our responsibility to make sure that he sees every single one of his emails this can never happen again in all caps he was adamant that he didn't want to hear that the email was addressed to him because it was our responsibility to keep track of the account Our team gets copied on hundreds of emails to the boss every week. Are we supposed to follow up with him about every one of them? Am I supposed to call this man every time he gets an email and say, hey, did you get that email? Did you get the other one all day? It didn't even hurt the deal. My boss updated the contract, client signed, and we kicked off the account. My only question is this, what the heck? Signed, help me. (laughs) So this is what I think that the, I mean, besides, you know, the typical nonsense of, I don't know, people's egos, or they just feel like yelling at somebody or blaming other people. The thing here, I mean, even said here, it didn't even hurt the deal. It wasn't like the client said, oh my God, where is this? It's been missing for two weeks or the deal's off. Yep. Or, you know, are you guys out of your mind? It it said a day and a half. Like the client sent an email and a day and a half later what was like checking up. So like what's the big deal here exactly? Like why is anybody yelling at anybody?
0: There definitely should be no yelling going on and all caps yelling is completely inexcusable. Um, yeah. That's it's just there's no there's no room for that in a professional work setting. I think that there are a lot – I mean, I will say this, and I'm not defending this boss whatsoever or trying to take away from this person's horrific experience, which is undoubtedly infuriating. I will tell you this. After becoming an executive CEO, founder, et cetera, who is running around with her head cut off and trying Mm -hmm. to pretend that I'm not, it's the first time in my life that I've understood how that happens
1: right so
0: wait wait, understand how what
1: happened so like
0: i've had a previous boss that was running you know his or her own company and it just seemed like everything was disorganized it was chaos this person never was on top of what was going on they asked questions that i thought were really dumb it just made me think like, where is your head? Is it not screwed on? Like, I don't understand what happened here, right? And and I understand missing emails. Like I would never have understood a boss missing emails in the past. Okay. I would never have understood right. not remembering where something is that it seems obvious. I would never have understood, like this is the first time where I'm the shoes on the other foot and I'm wearing it and I'm like, oh, now I get it. Now I get why that person showed up to new business meetings, not knowing who they were meeting. Now I understand why this person, like, you know, needed, you know, eight assistants to help them get through their emails. Now I understand, like, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit just to be a little bit funny here, but I, I get it finally, right? So on the one hand, it is not acceptable behavior, especially not the blaming other people and the yelling part of it. The missing an email part of it and feeling out of control and embarrassed, completely understandable.
1: Right. So that's probably where this boss person's reaction came from. Mm-hmm. But, the, that's, but that's the thing. Yeah, nobody was, nobody there. was, he, there was nothing really, it doesn't sound like that happened, that he looked like he dropped the ball. No, it's just that
0: feeling of being out of control, which I relate to. It's this feeling of like, and you're trying to show that you're on top of it and that you're running things and that, you know, you know what's happening. But I think the bigger your company gets as any founder will, if they're really honest, mm-hmm. will tell you most of the time, it's like a miracle if they know what's going on. <laughs> it's like, so it's well, right. so many things to keep track of. It's so many people. It's so many clients. It's so many issues. It's so many HR problems. It's so many finance things. It's marketing. Thing. It's like all of the things and they're all in your brain and you're they're, you're responsible for all of them. And you're the one that has to sign off on all of the issues. Right? right. And when that happens, it's like your CPU overload just makes your brain stop functioning properly. You're doing your best, but it still comes out and fits and starts and it feels like a sputtering engine. Right. It doesn't feel like, right things are clicking and if you're a control freak like it sounds like maybe this person is or was you know or some version of that you would really
1: struggle so this is all I'll say because you exactly what you're saying I think is exactly what happened yeah but this overreaction that now the team has to make sure that he sees all of his emails obviously he doesn't mean that but I,
0: I think what it is and it's it's I mean I have a similar like fail safe in place right my team knows that if they don't hear from me i will never be offended if they're like hey just checking in if you're still gonna review this like hey just checking in to make sure you saw my slide right but
1: but that's what happened in this i mean i guess it was from the client who said hey you know checking in on the contract i wouldn't you just say oh right i'm I'm right on that i would be embarrassed because
0: technically new business you're number one right Thing that you're supposed to be doing as a founder right <laughs> so if you didn't send through a contract of a willing and able prospect right. it would be the most horrific thing that could happen that would make you feel like how did this happen how did i do it and how did nobody else catch it i think what can happen to people is they feel like it's all their responsibility and it all falls on them and nobody is there to help them
1: right you hire
0: good people but if you right. have that mentality which is easy to fall into i'm not gonna lie it is easy to feel like what was me again not to take away from this person's horrible experience because i'm sure it was infuriating but <laughs> right but
1: that you're right infuriating
0: yeah, is the right word i think like, for this in a perspective Yep, yeah. it's like that would be awful and you do want to feel like you have a team in place that can catch your mistakes but i do not condone the behavior the being frustrated the taking out other people and the yelling via caps like all of that is not cool
1: you're right but the thing i guess that's just it's it's so typical of agency you know it, it's just too many like too many flashbacks for me so I understand this person would just be like oh my god and and probably the whole team was working on seven other clients all day you know what I mean it's not like anybody oh, had wow. a whole lot of time to be like oh well, let sure me actually, make sure he saw this and maybe they assumed that he did right. and maybe was, he, they thought he had got, talked to the client and they didn't know you know whatever so right, right. It's like, like a coop of headless chickens so I get it yeah so that is what it is and um <laughs> I guess the other thing I just feel like when you read this and then you think about, like, you know, I mean, I understand this is somebody's business and all, but it's like, okay, on the scale of what's important in the world, like, this does not rank real high. So, like, can everybody just get perspective? Yeah. Income? I mean,
0: depending so, on, right, you don't know what financial streams. Well, right,
1: right, with,
0: right. Or loss, lack of clients or loss of clients or incoming that didn't happen or budgeting mistakes, whatever, you don't okay. know. But, but, but just don't ever yell at somebody via caps and make it their fault
1: i try not to.
0: (laughs) With that, should we let our guest in?
1: Yes, let's do that. Ready? Here we go. So our guest today is David Oates. He's the founder of PR Security Service. He's a crisis PR expert with 25 years of experience in the field and has served as an officer in the U.S. Navy. He's here to discuss crisis PR strategy and
2: best practices. Hello, David. It's great to see you. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? I can live in the dream.
1: <laughs> Before I get into your company, did you do PR in any way for the Navy?
2: I did. That's how I got my start in PR, and then specifically crisis PR. So I was in for nine years. The first half as a, what they call a surface warfare officer. So I was on surface ships, combat and engineering roles and doing all of the watch standing and all the things you might see in various movies. But as a junior officer, you get assigned these other collateral duties, and mine was the public affairs officer. And when I realized it had all the makings of things I love, whether community relations, news media relations, uh, and other internal communications, employee communications, things like that, I found out that there were 200 officers, this out of probably 56,000 officers in the Navy, that did public affairs as their full-time job. And I went, I got to figure out how to give me that gig. And in San Diego, there was a handful of those who did that. And literally off duty and part-time hours, I would just knock on their doors and be just a royal pest in asking to be mentored and how do I get into this? And they showed me the ropes and told me how to apply for a transfer to that. And uh, over an 18-month period, I got accepted. I went to a two-month defense information school, kind of an immersion program. And then Mm -hmm. they sent me right back out to the fleet I was stationed in Haiti for six months as a spokesperson for a joint military operation. I was on an aircraft carrier for two years. And not only in the proactive PR realm, but crisis is just part of what happens when you're active duty in the Navy and forward deployed operations. So I cut my teeth on a wider range of stories that I can regale you on. But you named the crisis, I probably saw a flare of it before my 30th birthday. And then in the private sector, I kept that up, working for a couple of PR agencies and then hung up my own shingle. You know, honestly, I wish I'd done it 10 years ago. The things I get to do now, uh, I'm having the time of my life helping organizations and individuals.
1: So, So is it the lion's share of the crisis, social media or mobile communications caused or driven?
2: They have origins there for sure. Somebody takes a disparaging remark, it starts to go viral, it blows up, and media picks up on it after the fact. And so it's sort of the tail wagging the dog because that's where the majority of people now get their information. They don't mm-hmm. get it necessarily from the 6 o'clock news or the local paper. They get it from an influencer. They mm-hmm. get it from somebody that they're following. And it turns into something that's broader. And about half of the crisis communications issues that I tackle for on behalf of an organization may never see a traditional news outlet. But it's causing disruptions, taking them away from normal operations, their brand and their reputations being in question starting to see diminishing returns in terms of revenue growth, even being able to keep current revenue stable. And they're certainly seeing profitability start to erode. And probably as important, they're seeing really good people start to question whether they want to work for this company again and look elsewhere. In this day and age where we're still on the great resignation, the great reshuffle, it's it's a real issue. You
0: know, To build on that, are you also seeing crisis issues arising now out of the cancel culture and highly politicized landscape i'm
2: I'm going to take a contrarian view from that i don't think the cancel culture is anything new i just think it's now got amplified by social media yep. i think it's always been there people have always taken pot shots at organizations it was just done largely around a water cooler right or the local coffee shop or something along that nature there it didn't have sort of the accelerating amplification capabilities that social media Twitter. affords somebody to do so. But but I think it's always been there. I will tell you this. I think organizations oftentimes create their own cancel culture when you get one or two people who maybe take exception to even a proactive post that an organization does. They're spouting some sort of new product or this achievement and things like that. And somebody takes aim at them, instead of letting that go, especially if they've got 10 other positive posts, but one for whatever reason, you know doesn't like what you had to say, they respond to it, and they typically respond to it in a point counterpoint debate, maybe even some cases going a little bit farther and trying to discredit the accusation yeah. because they take it personally, right? The owners and the business executives take that kind of you know questioning their integrity personally, and all they do is they amplify that voice, mm-hmm. that cancel voice. They create greater animosity. It extends the news cycle. Now people are starting to think maybe there was a there there. They sort of have a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I, I get called in sometimes and they go, this cancel culture, you know, is really just taking exception from that. Yeah, but you sort of lit a match mm-hmm. on that handling wood. There's a better way to message this, right? And that's what I do. I, I, I often take business executives and owners off the ledge. And out of their comfort zone, and how to respond with empathy and action it doesn't mean culpability when there's none to be made. But I, I, I walk them through a better way to respond in this day and age.
0: Right. What are like the number one mistakes they're making in that regard?
2: They either don't comment, right? I'm not going to dignify that with a response, and so you allow that narrative to fester on its own, and your lack of of attention to it leads people sometimes to misperceive you as either being incompetent or unfeeling, or you create this point counter point debate, like I talked about, where they're going, no, you're wrong. You're at the sun. You blowing this up. You don't know what you're talking about. How dare you respond to that one there? Where do you get off? Oh, great. So now there's a there there. Now they say, well, you're me thinks lost protest too much. Mm-hmm. So I've got to take them out of a comfort zone. There's two cardinal rules. I don't care what the organization is. I don't care the industry, nonprofit, government, military, for profit, two things you got to do in every crisis communication situation. You have to express empathy and have to express action again doesn't mean you have to admit fault if there's no fault to be had somebody's just taking a pot shot but you have to give them the impression that you hear them that you care and here's what we're going to do about correcting the misperception or if it's something you did right everybody has a bad day then here's how you're going to fix it and people will give you the benefit of the doubt but that takes a lot of courage and it also takes them getting out of their comfort zone but if you do it you do it well The issue dies sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And my job is to get organizations and individuals back to what they were normally doing.
1: I've done a few things, crisis communications. I've worked for big companies before. And I always say that the way to help crises from the get-go is figure out what sorts of crises your company is most inclined to face and be prepared with, you know, Who's assigned to do what on the team? Like a, a statement or a talking point around that issue that you figure it might be, you know, your hot button issue or issues, and to get out responding to that on social media like within 30 minutes of something blowing up. Now, this doesn't apply to every situation, but it's most of the big companies that that sort of applied. And then
2: you've addressed it. Empathy and action, right? But but right. you bring up an excellent point, Laura, and that is, can you prepare? Yes, and prep for a crisis communication event because some people say, "Well, you can't prep for something that becomes a crisis because you don't see about it." No, that's wrong. It's like any other risk management strategies, which we all know organizations should have, and many don't because it sort of falls in the back burner as you're dealing like with different priorities right? of day. Right? Some people buy, it, right? some people don't. Right? Totally. Right. But everybody has inherent risks to the business and inherent risks to the operations, and as much as you try to mitigate those, right, from ransomware and IT uh, cyber breaches and things like that employee mishaps, you're an organization, you're an entity, things may happen. Right. And in this day and age, where, as I said, everybody's carrying around these little portable communication devices and become, oh, by the way, de facto news outlets, whether they're qualified for that or not. In my little you know, phone here, I've got a camera, I've got a microphone, and because of my social media apps, I have a distribution system. Without an FCC license, I become my own broadcaster. Right. And so if you, in this day and age, aren't prepared to answer a crisis mm-hmm. that is Possibly to happen because of the nature of your business, you just are that much behind the curve. You got an hour; you have an hour to get something out there, or at least be prepared for that before something could very well go viral. So, I would suggest to organizations and entities look at your inherent risks. Hopefully, you've got a risk mitigation plan. If you don't think about that and include crisis communication planning uh, in that, it'll at least stave off the catastrophic events, if not prevent something from occurring altogether.
1: And have you dealt with trying to help a company you know, reduce the negative press coverage they have out there on Google? I get, I've get, gotten questions like, how do I get these things further down the Google page?
2: The, the, the short answer is yes. The long answer is yes, but it's different than what most people think. There's no magic wand that right. can take that off of the blogosphere and the Internet, right? It is what it is. It's mm-hmm. there permanently. You have to create your own content, and it's got to be more popular over the long term than that. So ultimately Google will rank mm-hmm. the, con- the bad content so far down that it appears on page two or three that takes, if, especially if you're starting from scratch, right? If you've got an organization that doesn't have an active internet presence with regular blog postings, regular videos, regular social media, posting, things like that. If they're sort of leaving their brand to chance online and you're starting from scratch count on a six figure repair job and it's going to take 18 months to two years. That's just mm-hmm. the nature of it. If the stuff that's currently on Google Starts to appear in the first half of the first page. It's like cement; it'll cure really quickly, and it takes a lot to break it, break it Chisel apart. Chisel it
1: off, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Speaking of that, how do you combat? I know that there's this, you know, principle in place where the first narrative that gets out there tends to be the one that sticks, and then trying to correct it afterwards is almost impossible. How do you, how do you deal with that, right? How do you correct a narrative that's already been b- very pervasive that's incorrect?
2: I'll give you an example, it, it, and, and the, the answer is it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of content, it takes a lot of good storytelling. I had a net matter where it was one of my great privileges to help a doctor in Houston by the name of Dr. Hassan Gokul, who was wrongfully accused of stealing vaccines, lost his job, and was actually charged by the Harris County Houston area district attorney because she charged this person with stealing vaccines. And what he did do, when after being charged with vaccines, had an open vial with 10 doses left, Instead of putting it in the trash, essentially, which is what his bosses wanted to do. In December of 2000, when ICU beds were full and there were ambulances rolled up on the, on the hospitals with COVID patients in the ambulances waiting for an ICU bed to open up, he decided to get a hold of people who qualified, 65 and older for comorbidity, to use these vaccines. No vaccine went to waste. And he put in all the proper paperwork and all that sort of stuff there. And the DA, without ever talking to his attorney and not ever talking to him, charged him with death, put out a press release, and the story went global. It was Dr. Steele's vaccines. They disparaged this person without any due process. We spent four and a half months in getting his story out there and having an interview. front page, top full New York Times, all the cable outlets. I had him interviewed live on ABC The View. And now you Google his name, it talks about how he was not charged by the grand jury and how he's suing Harris County Public Health for wrongful termination. But that took six months to do okay. and a full-on media blitz to make that happen. That's the kind of effort it takes. And I was privileged to do that for one of the finest men I've ever had the privilege of of knowing. But that's the kind of effort it needs to take. And, and we were lucky enough to do it at that point. I'm still passionate about that wow, more than yeah. a year later.
1: Wow. I mean, that hits on all of the, like, you know big news. I mean, there's so many hot buttons in that one. No wonder it was such a uh, project of length and depth and, uh, and of the media stature that it received. Wow. When negative press hits, like, do you have to sort of be a therapist and be like, you know, what is it that you're like getting to the heart of the matter
2: of their? That's a lot of what I do is trying to talk business owners off the ledge and executives and others and individuals and show them a path to where they can repair if not, you know, if not preserve their reputation.
1: Right. Or is it because they're going to lose funding or is
2: it, you know, what's the. Oh yeah. When you're a leader of an organization or you have an entity where your own brand that has, you know, some value on that, they see their professional and by extension, because of their identity, their personal lives flash in front of their eyes. And I tell that from people, I I get asked sometimes, like the doctor notwithstanding, who's a really good guy. Some people ask about how can you be a crisis PR for an organization that Responded in this manner and really just look really silly like aren't they bad people no people panic in states of duress and when they see themselves being called into question their reputation being you know basically sucker punched either wrongfully so or taken so egregiously out of context that the little misstep that they had now looks like something bordering on really bad criminal they they panic right and they respond as i said before and in their natural state which doesn't necessarily bode well in the public domain when you're trying to communicate effectively about what you're going to do about it. So a lot of what I do is trying to tell organizations and individuals about how to effectively communicate something out of their natural state and and get out of that panic mode and into a position where, again, they can clearly articulate what they're trying to say in a way that diffuses the situation and gets them back to normal operations.
0: I love that. Yeah, we just talked about that in our uh, horror story of the day somebody <laughs> having a panic attack and then the the boss basically acting out as a result but i mean i think i feel like your navy training must have helped you immensely and i'm curious what you learned in the navy that you're applying in crisis pr
2: the two things that i learned really quickly in the navy and particularly in the public affairs office learned to think critically quickly a lot of people can think critically A lot of people can think quickly, not at the same time. And what they do, and this goes back to sort of the idea that we talked about earlier about training and planning for an event. We practiced a wide array of different crazy scenarios and how they were gonna be statements, how to prepare for those gotcha questions, who's gonna speak when, how, all of the tactics that you have in there and how you're gonna respond. And we always prepped that needed to respond within an hour. And this is the days long before social media. Because we knew we had to get statements out primarily internally first. And this is probably also something that I rely on my Navy background that I tell organizations. Your first audience that you need to concern yourself with is your staff. Because your staff is the director of first impressions to your customers, your partners, you know, sometimes your investors and other people that will help you do your job well. And by the way, if you don't keep your employees informed, they will be the first ones to undermine you, even inadvertently. When a reporter or a friend or somebody calls them up and they say, I haven't been told anything, that doesn't bode well for LeBrand. Interestingly enough, not a lot of PR practitioners are skilled in the crisis communications. And my training in the Navy and my experience in forward deployed operations really are beneficial. I rely on that a lot.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Is there a type of crisis that's the hardest to get through of all those you know, categories that you've now lived through?
2: The hardest really doesn't have to do with a particular event. It has to do with the mindset of the organization. If they okay. don't want to be as open as they can be, and there may be privacy or legal reasons why you can't, but if they can be as transparent as they can, expressing empathy in action, you can at least give yourself an opportunity. Where businesses fall short is when they're not forthright, they're not candid. They want to shield to a large degree statements or information only because they're uncomfortable to stay. They may be truthful, but they don't wanna say, because, oh, this is really gonna make it look bad. Hey, good news doesn't get better with age. It's like fish, right? A fish after a few days doesn't smell any better. Trust me, get this done, right? And so sometimes I will tell organizations, look, I'm not here to make this look good. I'm here to make this less bad and get you back to normal operations. That's my goal. We try to avoid pain as much as possible, even if it's to our detriment, or even if doing so delays the pain that we're going to have to pay later on. Oh, yeah. by the way, with interest. So, yeah, I do that all the <laughs> time.
1: That's the human condition, right? Yeah. It is
2: absolutely.
0: And how much of the crisis, you know, situations that you're running into, do you think come from the fact that the company is not doing something that they should be doing? It's sort of like the storytelling and story doing aren't aligned, and they're so they're not. In, their integrity is already a question, which then leads to a crisis.
2: I guess the question is, do I take on clients that are purposefully nefarious and are not, um,
0: <laughs> and are not, are not trying to well, but, have,
2: but, but maybe you no, don't, but let's, but, but the idea is like, look, they're trying to espouse this and they did this. I've had a couple of instances where organizations come to me saying, we're getting really bad press. We, you know, they're accusing us of this and we just want to make them go away. And I go, well, is there some truth to that? Well, yeah, but, but they've got it really wrong. Well, wait a minute. There's some truth to this and your customers are saying this and you've just gotten a rating from the better business. Yeah. You know? This is wrong. Are you willing to change it? No, we're not. Then go find somebody else. I am not a public defender. If you are not willing to take customer feedback, if you're not willing to take your employee feedback, if you're not willing to look at the things that you should be doing better. If you want to say, look, you know what? We had blinders on. We didn't mean this intentionally. This wasn't nefarious. We just screwed up. I'll help you all day long for that one there. On matters relating to just poor customer service or criminal matters. I'll help you all day long if you're contrite and you're wanting to fix things again with empathy and action. But you want to just make it go away? I, I, trust me, I got plenty of other business to deal with. Go find somebody else who's willing to do that. Though I don't know anybody who does.
1: Right, it's not really possible, right? In a,
2: in an honest way, right? Well, and then I have to worry about my own reputation. Oh, am I yeah. am, am I the one who was sort of trying to put lipstick on the on the pig?
0: <laughs> so funny. Um, this is this has been really, really interesting. I think we hit all the marks. Is there anything that you want to plug or you want to share how people can reach you?
2: Anyone can go to my website, publicrelationssecurity.com. Go to the contact page. You can schedule a 15-minute consultation with me, free of charge, no obligation. Tell me your problem. I'll give you my two cents worth. I love what I do. If I can be a resource for you, by all means, use me. I'll do that all day long.
0: I love it. I know it really comes across, Dave. We can tell that you're passionate about I this. I appreciate that. You seem like a fish in water. It seems like, you know, you found your calling. Water. I love I love when I find, you know, somebody who feels like they found their calling and they love what they do and they're still doing it and they're the best of the craft. And that's, it's refreshing. Okay. Be well. Dave, Dave, you. thank you
2: Bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. I, I, it was all I could do to not start singing In the Navy by the Village People. Oh, my God. Wait, in the enough. Navy. <laughs> In the sail the seven seas in the name we want you we want you we want you, you probably wouldn't have liked that too much oh. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right well we definitely have to leave that in because that's hilarious so let's see we should move on to our PR news of the week and we have two options for this week that we are excited about so Morning Brew reported that Glassdoor had to hand over identities behind negative reviews of a New Zealand toy company. Zero issued a subpoena against Glassdoor to name the former employees who, among other criticisms, called the toy company a, quote, burnout factory. Woof. So this is horrifying for anybody who's left a Glassdoor review and was hoping or assuming or relying on the fact, I should say, that it was going to be anonymous, right? Nobody leaves a negative Glassdoor review thinking that they're gonna figure out who it was. Right. Um, and so basically the judge ruled that the anonymous review site Glassdoor would have to hand over the identities of six biting reviews. The decision not only threatens Glassdoor's privacy policy, but its whole existence. So, speaking of crisis, right. <laughs> this is a huge crisis for Glassdoor.
1: Right. Um, so, I don't know, what was the legal foundation for uh, forcing Glassdoor to turn over the identities of the negative reviewers?
0: Uh, let's see. Ultimately, federal judge argued that because the identities of the disgruntled doer employees are most likely not U.S. citizens, they're, they're not protected by U.S. free speech law. So now New Zealand courts will have to decide in future litigation, which Zura intends to pursue, if the former employees defame the company with their review.
1: Oh, it's about free speech laws.
0: Free speech thing that didn't translate to New Zealand.
1: I don't know if I've ever left a negative review about anything, because I'm so paranoid that paranoid. people will figure out it's me. So I, I don't, I don't trust, it. trust it.
0: It's a $1.2 billion business, though. and Is it's How much? Entire existence relies on right.
1: Relies on that.
0: Clear review, nearly two point two million companies.
1: Well, that's one question. What is the company Zuru, if that's the way you pronounce it? What are they going to do when they find out about the six former employees or disgruntled employees? It says
0: that they, then they will pursue a defamation case if they, so
1: to get money. I guess sue for money yeah, for for defamation. Wow. So you're not allowed to say that your company stunk or that your managers at the company were terrible.
0: I mean, what does this mean for Yelp too, right? It's like the same,
1: right. That's about what, like restaurants or stores or whatever business, I guess. Right. Doctors. That's yeah. Like- I mean, you're not a le- So if you say something bad that may or may not be true, you can't basically.
0: I mean, on the one hand, it's, I'm sure that it's frustrating to companies where anybody that's disgruntled, had a bad experience, can just write whatever they want and it's online forever.
1: But it's like cockroaches, what are they gonna like stamp out every single person who says a bad thing? No,
0: it's like back to the other thing, just fix it, like make your culture better and then that's
1: right. And you know, I think everybody understands that when you read those things, sometimes the employees a little nuts. You can whenever I read those things, I can tell when it's somebody who's just like always complaining about stuff versus somebody who had a, a more legitimate one, the thing, the, what do you think the purpose of being the person who goes on Glassdoor to shred their former employer because they want to inflict pain on the company? Cause the company had inflicted pain on them. Right.
0: I think it's a combination of that and also hoping that other people don't make the same mistake or don't, you know, that you're able to help.
1: You're aware of what you're walking into.
0: Yeah. Like that, that any future employees are going to read that first before they make a bad decision and find out the hard way.
1: I just don't know how impactful those things are. If you're somebody who is desperately in need of a job or dying to work at company ABC are you going to not take the job because a few people are like this place stinks the management makes you work too hard
0: it Which, depends if you have a different offer right if you had right I mean the I guess the only other reason to do it is if you started your own competitive agency and you wanted to crap on them
1: to get well, right it. and that's what restaurants I think do to each if other That's
0: kind of gross so, it's better to pay attention. So, if you have a couple of offers and one seems to have a really toxic culture, according to a few reviews, and one doesn't, take the one that doesn't, even if it pays. Right? right? I mean, unless money is a huge concern, and you know what I mean, obviously, you have to make your own decisions, but still better to go in knowing, like, oh, okay, general, like, lay of the land. These are the issues most people have. Yep. My eyes are open. I can then. Try to navigate them clearly, right? It's like a little bit like. I mean, I try to give my staff if I think that a client is going to be specific about certain things or angry about certain things or particular in a certain way or whatever. I try even in the new business process, I try to relay that information and say, hey, just you know, they're this kind of personality type. I think if we do this X Y Z, it might piss them off. If we Mm -hmm. do it, they'll be really happy. So I would just err to the side of you know. So I mean, I think it's just another good example of having. Having all the information possible to make a good decision, and then you know handle yourself accordingly.
1: What's the PR player lesson in this, though?
0: The PR player lesson. I mean, what's interesting? Is that it's a terrible PR for Glassdoor and Yelp and any of those services. I think it. I mean, this just goes back to me beating the same drum I always beat, but it also goes to show why free speech is so important. Because if you can't even go out and express when somebody's mistreated you, as An individual, whether it's a corporation or a company or a restaurant or the government, you know, I mean, or whatever it is, I mean, God help us. Right. So I think we need to be really grateful for it and protect it because this is a great example of of that. But also, I think it's interesting to take note for any companies where free speech is the primary kind of underpinning of its success. Yeah. They're going to go international. They need to think really carefully about that and get an international legal team in place so this doesn't happen to them.
1: Well, the other thing I'm thinking too is if I lived in New Zealand or was you know, looking for an international job, I don't think I would work for this Zuru company. I think they did themselves a big PR disservice by going after Glassdoor. Agreed. That's terrible PR for them.
0: Terrible. It's terrible for both. It's bad for Glassdoor. It's bad for Zero. Everybody loses.
1: So mm-hmm. well done, Zero. Okay. Care. Do we want to talk about the... Um,
0: yes, the highest performing press releases of 2022 so far and what they have in common.
1: So it's interesting. I sort of saw some themes. A lot were if you were lucky enough as a PR person to work on a very high profile client, it makes your life very much easier than if you're working on a company or a person who nobody knows. Mm -hmm. But then it also talks about some things that make your release appealing. Of course, the first thing, as they've listed here, is the headline. So should we read some of the headlines
0: of these? See why they're so compelling. So we've got Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Companies Online Pharmacy Launches with Lowest Prices on 100 life-saving Prescriptions. Altos Labs launches with the goal to transform medicine through cellular rejuvenation programming. Hudsonville Ice Cream introduces seven new Little Debbie snack cakes inspiring flavors. Um, Microsoft to acquire Activision Blizzard to bring the joint community of gaming to everyone across every device. Duncan Hines partners with global superstar Jelly Parton to bring new Southern style desserts to the tab.
1: So of those, the top five, what do you think? Is there like something that's a, a, a theme, a thread as to why these were the top five performing releases well, on Cision?
0: I mean, yes, the headlines are good. However, the news is good.
1: Right. Oh, well, that's what I'm news. saying. And the client, oh, Dolly Parton, gee, what a tough one. Oh, Mark Cuban, what a tough right. one. It's right. big
0: news with big impact. That means a lot with brand recognition. So, I mean, on the one- And point, ice cream. The yeah, ice cream one was the least well, but it's everybody
1: loves ice cream, right? You know, it's funny. I don't know Hudsonville. I don't know Debbie Snack Cakes. I don't know, but it says don't ice know cream. Debbie Snacks? I no, I don't. I'm from New York. I don't know this. What uh, is this? I don't go to grocery stores.
0: <laughs> I would say the Microsoft one is the most compelling because they say what's happening, which is obviously big. Microsoft is making an acquisition, but then they also bring in like a little bit of marketing enhance to it to bring the joy and community of gaming to everyone across every device. It's simple, it says what it is. And I think a lot of times with press releases we get so dry and straightforward and mm-hmm. so like and we forget it's still a marketing play. You still have to position the company in a favorable light. You still have to give it some spin, massage it, give it marketing flair. It has to have a little color and pizzazz and lights and whistles and bells like you can't just put, you know, Microsoft acquired Activision Blizzard. That's not as compelling as the way they did it. So bring the joy and community of gaming,
1: yep.
0: right? And that's not newsy. There's never a news headline that looks like that. But it explains
1: but, why it's important that these right. companies are a- acquiring, you know, that Microsoft's acquiring this company. And those companies are hugely known as well. Well, so- I was going to say the first two ones are interesting to me because they're both healthcare related, right? The, first, the top two. Now the first one, Mark Cuban, and it's about online pharmacy at a lower cost, life-saving prescriptions. These are things that we're talking about all the time, and nobody is doing anything for the the, the layperson, the civilian out there. Yeah. Mark Cuban is—he's a genius, right? This is genius. Then the other one is another Transform Medicine cellular rejuvenation program. who even knows what that is but i think that right but it's got that with the goal to it's the right aspiration your health will be better it's very interesting so then the other things that they talk about the visuals that are included in these and i opened some of them now look at the one the duncan heights hines with dolly parton
0: amazing
1: right you can't not open a release with all these photos of of dolly parton
0: So just for people that aren't seeing it it's a picture of Dolly Parton in a beautiful bright pink blouse and a matching bow in her hair and she's like posing cutting a cake and then in front of the cake is this beautiful pink box of Duncan Hines and then it says Dolly and then it's like Dolly vanilla Dolly I can't read the that what
1: the other banana I don't know. So it's like a human Barbie doll, basically. Yeah, it's a great photo. Yeah, the whole, the, the, it's styled, it's amazing. And there's a few photos if you open it up, uh, different different angles of the same thing. So then they talk about the way it's laid out, releases are laid out too. That's the other the strategic formatting. Yeah, the formatting. So bolded headlines,
0: the subheads, the bolded lists of key data points or takeaways, short two to three sentence paragraphs, block quotes to call it expert opinions or commentary, and then eye-catching visuals. I actually just saw somebody do a release where they put the key takeaways of the release up front before they even started the release. They did it more like marketing dive format. Do you know how marketing or like business insider? Yeah. And it's like the three why it matters. And then it has that strategic format. It also
1: helps the people who are writing it to really think about it and make it better. Yep. Yeah, I agree um, with that too. But it's yeah. funny. So I'm looking at you know this is the top 25. One of the headlines: okay, let's Boney Mellon announces leadership secession plan, naming Robin Vince CEO elect. Why is that such a great performing press release? Right. I understand in finance. Wait, what's BNY again? It's BNY. Bank of New York. So it's a big financial wow. services corporation now. It's publicly traded, etc. But who the, who the hell knows who this person is or cares right
0: that is weird um, and it's right next to Elon Musk to acquire Twitter which is yeah, obvious right
1: which is le- like underneath that and then so this is and it's got a photo of Mr uh, Gibbons here so i wonder if part of the way these things perform so well one is do they have like everybody who works at Boney Mellon like tweet these things or click on these things so that they get you know do they send in all hands like You know, everybody should be reading today's press release.
0: I feel like I'm missing context. Is that because the CEO, you know, had to step down for some crisis reason? It says
1: he's retiring.
0: Otherwise, why is that?
1: It's an executive move release ultimately, right?
0: What's the luggage company disrupting airlines, saving travelers from carry-on fees? Takeoff luggage. They don't mention the name of the company in this release until the second paragraph.
1: That is that is uh, odd.
0: I've never heard of such a thing. It's not even the subhead. That seems like a terrible SEO play. How did this perform so well?
1: Well, so that's another question. Maybe what if like the, the PR team on this is so like super... They called you in and you're like, who is this? Yeah, what if they're just so super strategic and pro that they know how to do whatever they do and they've got an SEO team and that's why it's performing so well as well? Not only because like you said... This isn't written so well, necessarily, but there might be something to the back-end strategy
2: with with some of these releases. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so thank you for tuning
0: in for the PR wind Down podcast.
1: And thank you to David for joining us for a very interesting interview.
0: Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and to share our show with your friends and colleagues. If you subscribe and leave us a rating, it will also help us reach new listeners like you.
1: And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own, please send it our way at the contact email below the episode notes.
0: We can't wait to wind down with you again next time.
1: Laura, what are you whistling? Come on, it was a song. There was some song. What are you whistling? (laughs) I was singing the song Veronica to myself. Elvis Wait. Costello,
0: <laughs> because of our show producer Veronica. Yes. Mhm. So you were you were secretly serenading Veronica, not letting anyone know. <laughs> All these episodes, I wanted you to serenade me, and you're serenading Veronica. Well, producer. if your name was
1: had a song attached to it.
0: Doesn't April have
1: lots of songs? Not by Elvis Costello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair.